Hey, I'm Dustin Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Nadir DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lieber Mayer. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 60. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... Josh. This is Donovan. And today we introduce our brand new co-host for the Comic Cast, and his name is Joe. Welcome, Joe. Hi, everyone. All right, so we are going to be bringing you the comic news and reviews for the comics released between the dates of January 9th through January 22nd. Uh, we have a total of four things of news and eight comics to cover, so we got a lot to get into, so we're going to get right into it. Start off with our very first bit of news. On January 12th, it was announced from the source that starting in May, Birds of Prey number 12 will be getting a ongoing artist that will be joining Gail Simone. Um, Jesus Saizaz will be assuming normal art duties on Birds of Prey. Uh, Simone had a number of comments about the announcement, including, It's not a small order. It has to be someone who can draw action, humor, suspense, love, hate, beauty, villainy. It has to be someone who can draw beautiful women who can also kick your rear end. It's a special book, we think, and it needs a special artist. And oh boy, did we get one. Jesus is at the top of a very short list of dream artists on our Oh Man, Wouldn't He Be a Fantastic list. His previous work has been silky and sexy and powerful all at the same time. He's fantastic with design, storytelling, body language, and artists this good frees up the writer to make the stories even bigger and more complex. We were lucky to get him, and when his first piece of art came in, the cover of Birds of Prey number 12, we knew absolutely he was the perfect choice. We cannot wait for you to see his take on Dinah, Helena, Babs, and Zinda. Together, we are going to make 2011 the best year for Birds of Prey ever. Alright, so based on that announcement, the cover they did show, cover of Birds of Prey number 12, so we knew what we were getting ourselves into with Jesus, Sayaz, interesting, that's what I have to say, very interesting cover, clearly Oracle is not dead, based on the cover. Are you sure? Yes, it's her lifeless body being rolled away by Black Canary. Weekend at Birds of Prey, as in Weekend at Bernie's, yeah, I love the um, Hawk and Dove, and their little uh, business suits, yet they're still wearing their masks. Yeah, definitely uh, Hawk looks like a luchador with his mask since he's wearing a suit with his costume. I do like this because he draws the girls and they're not too too idealized. You know, they actually look like, you know, women that you see on the streets, not women that you see on the Spice Channel. <laughs> Didn't even know the Spice Channel still existed. I, I don't know if it does or not. I was just pulling a random channel out of my butt. From the way they've described them in that, it definitely sounds interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing some of the interior art. And we can look forward to that interior art come this May. Let's get into our next bit of news. On January 18th, the source posted up the cover of Gotham City Sirens number 22, along with the announcement that Gotham City Sirens will take part in a one-month crossover between Batman and Red Robin. So three issues, one month. Um, this is going to happen in April. And my only thoughts on this is maybe this will give Gotham City Sirens a reason to exist because it was quite a surprise that Streets of Gotham and Azrael are being canceled after March, but at the same time Gotham City Sirens is sticking around. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. We know Peter Calloway is the current writer, will be the writer on the book in April as well. So 
it'll just be interesting to see what happens and if there's an actual reason to keep this book around. It's probably just metaphorical, and Catwoman has to decide if she's going to be on the devil or angel side. Uh, she's probably not getting transformed, but still, uh, eye-catching cover. Uh, last time that they've done like a crossover between titles that I can think of, aside from this Road Home and R.I.P. stuff, is uh, when they did uh, the Batgirl and Red Robin crossover, and I, I enjoy that, so uh, let's see. Yeah, I really enjoy the cover as well, and it's become apparent to me that Catwoman sort of become the focus of the Gotham City Sirens, and for good reason. I think she is like the best character they can focus on in that book. So this kind of cover actually does get me a little excited to what they're going to do, especially since it will cross over against other heavy hitter titles as Batman and Red Robin. So I'm definitely intrigued. Yeah, it's definitely intriguing, but I wasn't actually that keen on the cover. I mean, Selena's face looked really bizarre to me, but really sort of crap. Yeah, her her face is the bizarre part. <laughs> Now, two things I have to make a comment on is, one, what's interesting is Batman is going to be participating in this this crossover, and for some reason, Tony Daniel will not be the writer or the artist for the book. And all I have to say is, I guess Tony Daniel's starting to fall into that rut where he needs a month off here and there. My other comment is, interestingly enough, we had that crossover that Don mentioned with Batgirl and Red Robin, and Fabian was involved in that crossover. And then on top of that, in February, Red Robin will actually have a one-month crossover with Teen Titans as well. So it seems like Fabian's really trying to get his character out into the world and not only cross it over with other series that are existing but also have the other characters from the other series come into the book and actually play a role that spans more than just one issue and the way they're doing that is by having these one month crossovers. Alright so the next thing we've got is on January 19th DC Comics uh, sent out their weekly email to the comic retailers notifying them of upcoming order due dates and changes to the original stations. In the email, it stated that Batwoman number one and number two are both being delayed. Batwoman number one is now being scheduled for an April release. Now, what's interesting is this was the news that came out of the retailer announcement, but on top of that, as it turns out, after glancing at the DC Comics website, not only was Batwoman removed from February, but Batman Inc. and Batman the Dark Knight were both changed as well. So it looks like we're starting to hit the after-holiday slump for delays. Now, there's a number of delays that Batwoman's been plagued with, but Grant Morrison, his series in general, have been plagued by a number of delays, whether it be timing situations with other books or whatnot. It's very interesting that this book is being delayed, especially since Batman Inc. number... I believe, actually brings Batwoman into the story. So with that happening, it's almost as if, okay, so what could this be part of the overall plan? I don't know. I think that at this point, there's been delays associated with J.H. Williams III in the past. We're getting some more again, and I think that if we were to guess that there'd be more in the future, that would be a pretty good guess. So why not just stockpile these issues and then release them as trade paperback onlys, you know, A-Law, what they're doing with the Earth-1 series? Because this Batwoman stuff has gotten a lot of attention by non-comic book readers and even some non-Batman readers, and everyone's talking about how awesome it is and how the art is, so it might be a good way to showcase their new graphic novel-only line. I agree, especially as a uh, relative new reader to Batwoman going off of that Zero issue. Because J.H. Williams is sort of a specialty artist that is notorious for delays and being late, I think that going like, for instance, the Superman Earth 1 route and just making hardcover graphic novels that feature Batwoman would be the way to go. I think that would, be, that would make her stand out more. I think that would be a very successful way to get her character more popularity. 
I'm a bit surprised by Batwoman being delayed because I would have thought they'd have long enough to work on it by now. But like The Dark Knight and Batman Inc. is a bit annoying, but I'm not that surprised because, like you said, they've been associated with delays in the past. And it's just something you get used to now. Yeah, I mean, the problem that I, I foresee with these delays is that it just seems to me that DC is not as concerned about making it known why the delays are occurring. It's just, okay, this book's delayed. You, we're not even going to tell you. We're not even going to address it. All we're going to do is just change the date. We're going to update our release calendar on our website. And that's the only idea that you're going to get that the book was being delayed. I remember back when Batman Robin was coming out and we were waiting for issue number 15. And we waited for issue number 15 for a good three months, I think. And I remember getting my comics, and this is going to sound strange, but I remember getting my comics and thinking to myself, wait, why isn't there a Batman and Robin? Thinking my comic I screwed up. And then I realized, oh wait, no, there wasn't a Batman and Robin this month because it was delayed. And that happened three months in a row. And then they tried to cram all the issues in a short amount of time to make them all come out in order so that they could still follow along with the plan that they initially had. We had three issues in a two-month time span. So I just wish that DC would come out and say, so this is why the books are being delayed. Or at least give us, you know, some kind of advance notice of, well, yeah, this book's being delayed. Instead of just telling the comic retailers. Comic retailers, yeah, okay, fine. They need to know what to expect because they're selling the book. But we as fans, we need to know what to expect before we get to the comic shop to go in to buy. Let's say I picked up nothing but Batman Inc. And I went into the shop to buy Batman Inc. And then I find out when I get there, oh, the book was you know, I'm sorry, DC, I shouldn't have to check your website to find out that the book was delayed. There should be a, some other way of me finding this out. Yeah, I don't know how many times I've done that before, gone to my comic book shop, and I've not seen it there because I didn't check the website the night before. Now, I've always asked, like, where is it? And it's like, it can't have sold out that quickly. I mean, it's been, like, one day, and then getting really frustrated when I find out it's just been delayed, especially when I travel all that way. Exactly. All right, so speaking of all these delays, we did end up getting some clarification about the Batwoman delay. On January 21st, J.H. Williams, on his own personal blog, posted up an explanation of why exactly Batwoman was being delayed. I'm not going to read the entire thing because, to be completely honest, it's very long, and I can sum it up very shortly. Essentially, his original plan was to release Batwoman in April. DC wanted it in February. He said, okay, because he works for DC. Then on top of that... DC then asked him after the fact, and after it was agreed upon a February release, hey, we also want to get a Batwoman number zero. J.H. Williams had no intention of doing this, but decided, okay, okay, I can do that. And then on top of that, DC said, oh, by the way, J.H. Williams, we need you to draw five covers for Batman Incorporated on top of everything you're doing for Batwoman and the Batwoman number zero. So J.H. Williams kind of fell behind, and that's essentially what happened. We know that J.H. Williams' art is really good. We also know that it takes some time for him to do his art because it's very high quality. But at the same time, it seems like DC is really overloading him. They ended up coming to a conclusion because of all this stuff we've had you do. Yeah, okay, fine, we can bump it back to April. My only two cents on this is it would have been nice if DC was the one who did this. It wasn't J.H. Williams going out there and having to tell everybody, hey, so this is why the book was delayed. It just goes back to what I just said about, you know, I really just wish that DC in general would, you know, if they have the decency to send out an email to comic retailers on Tuesday, the day before the comics hit the shop, they should at least do something on their blog about, so these are the books that are currently going to be changing dates on Tuesdays as well. I don't think that's too much to ask. I think it's nice that J.H. Williams took the time out, you know, to um, post that, but to me it did sound like a massive whine 
of like it's basically him going, oh yeah, it's not my fault. But I suppose that's fair enough if you're getting the blame for things which aren't your fault. I agree. All right, so that is going to wrap up all of our news. We're going to get straight into our comic review since we do have eight books to cover. You play chicken long enough, you fry. And the very first book we have is Batman number 706, written and drawn by Tony Daniel. We start off the issue in Chinatown, in Gotham City, where Lucius Fox is getting the crap beat out of him by the Sensei. The Sensei is convinced that Lucius Fox was part of the Jade Society who knows the location of the Beholder. Lucius Fox keeps saying he has no idea where any of it is, when Sensei says, okay, fine, well, I'm sure that if this person right here is thrown into the mix, you might be able to know. And Tam Fox appears. After Lucius says, don't hurt her, then cut to Batman who's being beat up by both Riddler and his daughter Evigma. Batman, who's both deafened and blind from the explosion that happened at the end of 705, is not really putting up a decent fight against Riddler or Enigma. Batman ends up getting hit by a car, and after Enigma says, oh, well, I killed Batman, Riddler says, no, no, you didn't kill Batman. If anybody's going to kill Batman, it's going to be me. She tries to go after Batman's utility belt when, out of nowhere, Robin appears and makes quick use of a lot of Riddler's thugs. After this, Enigma and Riddler escape in a van, and we then cut to a lighthouse, where Sensei has the blueprints for the original Gotham City, along with the Fong symbol that we saw earlier in 705, and Lucius Fox has told him that this will reveal the Beholder's location. We then cut to the Bat Bunker, where Alfred, Dick, and Damien are trying to deduce why exactly Sensei was going after Lucius Fox. As it appears, Jasper Fox, Lucius Fox's father, actually was part of the Jade Society, or was at least acquainted with a number of the members of the Jade Society, and it turns out he, in fact, was trying to protect one specific historical landmark, and Dick Grayson is convinced that must be where the Beholder's location is. We then see Batman go off to Arkham Asylum, where he talks with Alice Sinner about talking with the Reaper, because the Reaper turns out that he may, in fact, know where Sensei has been. He's on a lot of pain medication, is not very good at giving Batman any kind of news. We then cut to Ai Ching, who is with with the peacock, and Peacock wakes from her pain. This was sent through ESP from her brother. I Ching tells her, just draw everything that makes sense. And all she says is, I can't draw anything because he didn't show me anything. I could smell blood, old blood, and rotting flesh. I Ching says, okay, well, I'm going to go find it. You wait here for Batman. We then cut to Selina Kyle's hideout, where Katrina Falcone, also known as Catgirl, is uh, practicing some moves on some punching bags when Batman appears out of nowhere and says, uh, you're going to answer some questions for me. She says, no, I'm not. When Selina Kyle appears and says, listen, you are going to answer Batman's questions. Catgirl then tells Batman that she was following Reaper and she knows exactly where he was. We then see I Ching going to a location and kicking in a door and then we see on the next page Batman and Katrina going into Chinatown and Katrina shows exactly where the Reaper was watching. Turns out he was watching a butcher shop. We then see Batman go into the butcher shop and we see that I Ching was in fact at this butcher shop but he is no longer there and we see Sensei who has the Beholder mask standing over Batman after Batman falls to the floor and that is to be concluded. 
Alright, so Batman 706, overall, I thought the story moved along quite nice. There is a lot of characters going on, but Tony Daniel does tend to do that. I still have no idea why Riddler and his daughter appeared. I'm sure that plays into something a little bit further into the story, but at this point, it's very undetermined of why they even needed to be around. There's a lot of characters that we haven't seen recently. We haven't seen Sensei since the resurrection of Ra's al Ghul's storyline back a couple years ago, and on top of that... We see I Ching, this new character Peacock. Catgirl makes an appearance, and once again, we understand why she's on the Batman Universe award show for Worst Character of 2010. The art? I've got no complaints about the art. Some drawings look like they were a little bit rushed, but I kind of said that this was going to happen after we saw 705. Tony Daniels tends to do a very good job when he has a lot of time, and when he is rushed, some details are left out and some penciling is a little bit more rough than some think. With all that being said, overall I think the issue is great. It's moving the story along very well at a very pleasant pace. So I'm going to give this one 4 out of 5 batterings. I'm liking this a little better than some of Tony Daniels' previous stuff. One thing I, that I like about comic books and serial fiction in general is when, when you juggle some different characters in different situations. Yeah, we have this stuff going on with Sensei, uh, with the foxes. Uh, it's always nice to see Tam Fox. It's not nice to see Catgirl, so boo on that. Tony Daniels' writing sometimes leaves a lot to be desired, but his art worked for me this issue definitely, so... It's a better effort than it's been in the past. I'm enjoying this book a little more than I used to, so I'm going to give it three and a half out of five batterings. I'm on the same boat. I think this Tony Daniels' Batman run has gotten better and better ever since the very start of it. This is the best art I've ever seen him do since I can remember around uh, R.I.P. Better than even that. I really, like Dustin, I have really no complaints about it. it. Everything looks really dynamic. I love the coloring, and I just love the facial expressions everybody has. The story is moving along very nicely. There's not, I don't feel like there's any much, there's too much padding. I feel that we're moving along okay, and there's some plot developments with I Ching and Peacock and the Reaper, and Catgirl is an annoying character, but I think this is the only somewhere, I get the feeling this is all not just, just stuff being thrown in here. Over really there's not much to complain about this issue i enjoyed it just as much so i'm giving this four out of five batterings yeah i haven't got much to add i mean obviously the art's good i thought damien looked a little off when he wasn't wearing his mask but that might have just been me but uh, the only thing is isn't tam fox supposed to be in russia with tim at the moment <laughs> yes uh yes I mean, she is continuity error what do you know other than that i haven't really got much to add so i'll give it three and a half out of five batterings Alright, so that is going to give Batman number 706 4 out of 5 batterings. to our next book, Batgirl number 17. This is another team-up between Damien and Stephanie, and we all love those from last year. Stephanie, she's having a hard time juggling school with her life as Batgirl, and we see in some of the narration boxes that she's even doing some missions for Batman Incorporated now, so she wakes up late for school thanks to her mother, who has to wake her up because she missed her alarm clock, and rushes out. Alfred goes in to wake up Damien, and what do you know, Damien's already awake because he doesn't need sleep, because his dad doesn't need sleep. Alfred tries to remind Damien that he's, you know, 10 years old, so, you know, he needs to be a kid once in a while, but Damien's not having any of it. And that's pretty much one of the reoccurring themes of the issue, people telling Damien that he needs 
needs to be a kid. Speaking of kids, there's some kids that have been going missing due to like, kidnappings, and Batgirl and Robin are both on the case separately and wind up bumping into each other. So they decide to work together again with their usual Batgirl and Robin banter, and they're able to determine that the next kidnapping is going to be at a children's science museum where there's a field trip, and Damien's going to have to go undercover, an idea that he's not pleased about because he has to dress as, I don't know, like a combination between Donald Duck and a schoolboy uniform. Stephanie watches Damien as uh, some of the other kids try and engage him and play with him and realizes that Damien does not know how to play. Turns out that um, the bus driver's been kidnapped and that the kidnapper, you know, has impersonated the bus driver and is using the bus as kind of like a way of kidnapping the kids. But thanks to Batgirl and Robin, the plot is foiled, but there's still another matter at hand. Damien needs to lighten up, so Stephanie takes him to a bounce house at the end of the issue and makes him go in there with her and jump up and down to help him learn how to have fun and to be a kid. She catches him smiling you know, and says, aha, you're having fun. And he says, that's because I'm thinking about cutting your head off. And so it was a heartwarming end to that issue. All right, so Batgirl number 17. Overall, I thought the issue was okay. I think that uh, Dustin Wen's art is giving a new little twist on the story. It's kind of actually freshening it up, the book, for me. Not that the book was becoming stale by any means, but I think his art gives a different attitude than what we were seeing with Lee Garbett. And for that, I think it's giving a fresh approach for the book. Brian Q. Miller's, at that point, was becoming a little bit stale. I like these little one-off stories here and there to kind of, for them, it's really so that they can make the tr a true trade paperback with four issues possible by having these three-issue story arcs, by having the one-off story makes it so they can have a four-issue uh, trade paperback. This issue was, was fine. There wasn't any problems. The one thing that I do have a problem with is when they have these one-off stories, it seems as if they try... They don't really concentrate on a lot of the other reoccurring elements that are happening in the other books. Yes, they did mention the thing about Stephanie working for some missions for Batman Inc., but at the same time, we don't address any of the people that she goes to school with in this issue. If she was in fact late to go to school when she woke up in the morning, why is it that she immediately took off and was Batgirl in the middle of the day instead of going to school? It seems to be a little bit of a problem. Also, Oracle, Wendy, nowhere to be found in this issue either, as is Nick Gage. So it just seems a little odd that none of these people are around since they've been reoccurring characters within the series. Damien shows up and then nobody is around. That I find just a little bit odd. Three out of five betterings. I loved this issue. This is probably my favorite issue of Batgirl in a long time, if not my favorite of the series ever. It's, uh, I didn't mind the absence of everyone else because the banter between Stephanie and Damien was done so well here. And just the scene of Damien dressed up undercover, that was kind of funny. And the ending with her taking him to the moon bounce, that could have been really, really horrible if somebody else had written it. And if I would have read that as a summary on paper, I would have said, wow, that is really, really stupid. But the way that the scene played out, I liked it. And... It's interesting the way that the relationship between this version of Batgirl and Robin is developing, because it's different than any Batgirl and Robin relationship that we've ever had. And I like her kind of taking the role of, sh you know, showing him how to have fun and to be a kid. And it's a side of Damien that we haven't really seen before. And, hey, it's always fun when Damien gets humbled. Let's let's be real. I liked the art. I, I'm, I'm getting used to Dustin Wen on this book, but, you know, of course, he wasn't on this issue. But the art was still nice, reminded me of Lee Garbett a little bit. I like that page where she slides 
holding down the banister of the stairs. It kind of gave a sense of what this book's all about, the whole teenage fun thing. I'm going to give this five out of five batterings. I like this issue, too. I thought this was a very nice, another nice one-and-done Batgirl issue, as the majority of them are. I don't have too much to say because it's a very simple story. I will say, though, that it's a very interesting relationship that, in the middle of New Age Bat Family, that they've started to develop with Damien and Stephanie. The ending could have been really hammy or really uh, over melodramatic or something, but thinking about it again, it was really kind of uh, heartwarming and really kind of uh, generous for Stephanie just to take this kid out and have fun. I mean, she didn't have to. She's in college. She can, you know, just do whatever she wants, but she did this just to be a nice person. I thought that really, really spoke well of her character. I, I actually really enjoyed that when I, when I got to that point at the end. But the art's fine. Uh, Perry Perez, I believe, did the art, and um, he's done some background in the past, and he's, he's been pretty solid. I didn't enjoy it as much as Josh, but I did enjoy it, so I'm giving this another 4 out of 5 better ranks. Yeah, I like Robin interacting with other members of the Bat family. Always, always a fun issue when he is. I, I really like the way he keeps name-dropping Bruce as his father, and the way he's really proud about it. And so I think that's a really fun element to him. And I also like the idea of developing this side of this Damien rather than Robin, with the um, how he doesn't know how to play. I think that'd be interesting to explore a bit more, because we normally see the development of him as Robin, you know, in Batman and Robin and things like that. And um, I like the reference to Batman Inc. just keeping things in that whole... Um, yeah, the art was fine. I miss Dustin Gwen because obviously we're not going to see him anymore on Streets of Gotham. But I think he's back next week, isn't he? So I'll give it three and a half out of five batterings. All right, and over on the website, Zayus, as usual, reviewed Batgirl and gave the book three and a half out of five batterings as well. So that is going to give Batgirl number 17 three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, which we have Batman and Robin, number 19. This issue starts off with a dynamic duo busting through the glass, screaming at Uno Nemo, Where is Vicky Vale? What have you done with her? But Uno Nemo reveals that the giant scissors she has in the, the body parts bag is just dog food and cardboard. So they have nothing to worry about there. And you, you can see in one panel, Vicky unconscious and tied up in the corner of a uh, cupboard. So Batman and Robin try to persuade Uno Nemo that Bruce Wayne wanted to be there, but he's just not having it. She's saying, this is always what he does. He's just a heartless guy. And um, of course, he's sent his Batman now because he's uh, sort of Batman Incorporated. And all of this is just stalling. She's basically stalled Batman and Robin just enough so they would be knocked out by some in untraceable knockout gas and when they awake they find themselves in a classic batman and robin death trap tied to chairs back to back with drills pointing at their heads which will drill through their skulls in exactly three minutes so the dynamic duo try to um talk their way out of it dick's words of persuasion are to no effect essentially even though he says that at one point he says i know what you want to know you want to know our secret identities and she says i do not care about that you know you don't know what i want to hear so just keep on blabbering until you're dead so uh, it gets to the point where the drills are actually at their heads and just as they're about to smash into their skulls they disintegrate and Luna Nemo reveals that these are paper mache drills all along and they were in no danger the entire point of this little exercise was to stall the dynamic duo just enough so that she would have the red the river robbery crew murdered in prison and we see a page where three panels page where all these guys of the river robbery crew are variously murdered and they're murdered by their shot in the head they have a big gaping hole in their skulls just as she does batman and robin are obviously not happy about this relation and robin actually tries to take her out with a battering but somehow she grabs it in the middle of the, of the throw and though she points a gun at her 
gun at the dynamic duo. She points it back at herself and seemingly blows her brain. Batman and Robin uh, rush down to the, the streets below, but they don't see anybody. So they say nobody, no corpse, nothing. Back at the Bat Bunker, Bruce and Damien and Alfred are talking about the case they just had. And Dick actually is a little depressed because, in all fairness, she was, like she said before earlier in the issue, a non-typical villain. They were they were ready for a typical psycho, and she just didn't turn out to be a psycho. In fact, she inadvertently revealed a flaw in Bruce, Bruce Wayne's character that he has a Batman who's um, willing to do anything and a Robin who's ready to die for the cause, and that he maybe he is a heartless guy who just uses people for his own expenses. So one way or another, Uno Nemo won, and that was uh, Batman and Robin number 19. All right, Batman Robin number 19. Paul Cornell, okay, I'll give him that he told an interesting story and the fact that this absence character didn't turn out as horrible as I initially thought after the first issue. It seemed a little gimmicky. Towards the end, it seemed as if she was actually smart as she said she was, and she had a legitimate plan that, uh, in the end, was very interesting. I, I did kind of like how the end of issue 18 we were kind of left at the end thinking that the she had a giant pair of scissors and she was going to cut up Vicky Vale that was kind of interesting but what made it even more interesting was what happened in this issue when the fact that she said well these scissors are actually just cardboard and inside this bag is not body parts it's dog food and it tied perfectly what she did when she uh, set up the death trap for Batman and Robin with the paper mache drill bits. It was interesting, and, uh, you know, I'll give Cornell that. I don't think this story is going to be very memorable as in as far as I don't think I will remember this story other than the story Cornell told while Tomasi was waiting to come on the book and Morrison left the book. That's what I think this is going to be remembered as. Overall, the story was pretty enjoyable. The art by Scott McDaniel was better than what we saw in Detective Comics when he did his last story arc with Batman. So with that, I give him props for that. But uh, Batman Robin, good story, not uh, amazing, good story. So three and a half out of five batterings. I liked this uh, little transition arc. It's always good to see Scott McDaniel doing any Batman book. It just fits. And this whole thing with the absence, it's, well, first of all, one of the premises of this whole Batman and Robin thing I remember people were talking about was that it was going to be more like the 60s Batman show and the whole Death Trap thing. That was straight from the 60s show. I'm glad that they brought Vicky Vale back in because even though her she was utilized very, very poorly during that whole Road Home stuff, as a character... She, Within the Batman universe, she still has a lot of potential as a reporter who knows, you know, the secrets of the Batman family. Although she did little more here than, you know, be the girl hostage like she once was. But the few twists and turns here and the Damien snark about, you know, killing himself earlier, the spider, although I don't see how that would spite her. This wasn't as much of a fill-in arc as I thought it was going to be when it was first announced. So I'm going to give it four out of five batterings. I have consistently enjoyed this uh, little story coming right off, hot off the heels of uh, Grant Morrison's run on Batman and Robin by Paul Cornell and Scott McDaniel. I really, this is actually what I want to see in this from this title now, just Batman and Robin fighting guys, or gals in this case. They were expecting a typical uh, psycho supervillain case, and they got basically uh, a cautionary tale of uh, people's personalities. I actually thought that was an incredibly cool twist. The art was gorgeous. I love the pencils by Scott McDaniel, the inks, and the colors. I love uh, Damien saying, uh, well, the, the gag was that uh, if they push each other back to avoid the drill, they'll push the other person into the drill. And Damien said, well, what if I just push myself into the drill and walk you with, with my death? I thought that was pretty awesome. I really like this issue. I mean, four and a half out of five batterings. Quite like this issue. I was a bit disappointed at first about the um, Una Nemo not being some psychotic killer with the uh, girlfriend body parts. I was kind of hoping Dawn Golden would be in there. 
I thought it was a good twist at the end. I mean, it, it's, it actually surprised me, which was good. And uh, the art I really enjoyed. I'm really starting to like McDaniel's style. I was never always um, as for it as it seems you guys are. But this, I could really start to see what people liked about it so much. And I like the bit um, when they uh, first get trapped by the gas near the beginning of the issue. How uh, how Damien points out to Dick that it's not all, it shouldn't all be fun and games. It's, one, it's why he shouldn't joke as much. And I thought that was good. It's the uh, role reversal of what we usually expect from Batman and Robin. Yeah, I'm going to give that three and a half out of five batterings. All right, and over on the website, Melinda gave the book three out of five batterings, which is going to give the book a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Now, let's have a look at you. Hoo-boo. You could have been my successor, detective. Instead, you will suffer the fate of all mortal flesh. Let's move into our next review, which is Superman Batman number 80. Superman Batman issue 80, part two of the world's finest arc, written by Chris Robinson with art by Jesus Marino. So the issue opens up where the last one left off with Epoch in the battle suit being confronted by the original Batman, Robin and Superman. Epoch and Superman immediately take to the air where they begin to battle Epoch, but uh, he makes short work of them with the abilities that the suit gives him. And uh, as Batman falls to the ground, Epoch turns his attention to Batman and Robin. After melting their oncoming batarangs, he fires heat-seeking missiles at them, but they manage to avoid this before Epoch catches the three heroes in an Omega Barrier force field. We jump now to the Superman and Batman of the 853rd century, who are stuck in a time loop until Superman realises what is going on with the help of his fifth dimensional senses. Um, we jump back to Epoch again, who has trapped all of the Earth's heroes in time loops before declaring victory and rule over the world. Back in the Omega Barrier, the trio managed to escape using some physics that even Grant Morrison would have been proud of, and they proceed to beat up Epoch, destroying the Chrono Cube and damaging the Anti-Hourglass. When Epoch attempts to escape through time, but because of the damaged Anti-Hourglass, he has no control over his destination. As he is woven in and out of time, including an era where Damian Wayne is Batman, he finally stops in the 853rd century, where Superman and Batman are waiting for him where they arrest him. We then cut to where the robot Robin has been rebuilt and is asking questions to Superman and Batman, which is basically a way of answering any plot holes, and that includes Superman, Batman, World's Finest. Alright, Superman Batman number 80. I gotta hand it to Chris Robertson. What he did with all of the science that explained the explanation of how exactly Batman and Superman escaped from that Omega barrier type thing. That was pretty interesting. I have no idea if any of it was even true, but it sounded like it was true. Uh, my one complaint about it is it's that science stuff just kept going and going and going and then they tried to use it to explain the situation at the end of the issue with explaining how the Superman and Batman from the 853rd century escaped from time loop that they were in. The story went from sort of interesting with the last issue to not as interesting. If you took all the science out of this issue, this issue probably would have been half as long. It was the one thing that was really interesting about the issue was seeing all of the different versions of Batman and Superman through history. That was interesting. I really liked the uh, throw-in of Damien as Batman in the future. That was kind of cool. Didn't really enjoy the issue other than those few things. So overall, I'm going to give this one two and a half out of five batterings. 
liked uh, some of the time travel stuff, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm just biased against this title at this point because it's disappointed me so many times that I walk in, you know, looking for flaws and expecting low expectations. But I don't know. I always seem to get it. Didn't really care too much about the story. The art wasn't half bad, though, but I mean, it could be the best art in the world. It's not going to support a a story that it... So I'm going to give it one out of five batterings. This issue was, I found this to be a little more confusing than last issue. Last issue I found confusing, but I was trucking along a little bit. This one, I really like the arts, but it was like, I don't know, time, time travel in the DC Universe is always a very, very rough road to go on. And this one, I, I, I kind of didn't get lost. And I, I don't like when, when I don't when I get lost in comic books. So I'll be a little fair and give this a little more middle of the road, two and a half out of five batteries. I actually really like this issue. I really, I really enjoyed the art, and I thought it had a kind of retro quality, which worked well in the with the original Superman and Batman and Robin. I mean, it didn't come off quite as well in the um, 853rd century, but overall, I thought it was really good. And I liked the pace of the book. I thought it, it went at quite a nice speed, even with all the science. And you sort of felt the um, time travel when you were reading it, which I thought was good. And uh, yeah, like Dustin, I really liked the addition of Damien Wayne, just that quick snippet of him. So that was really cool. So I'll give it three out of five batterings. All right, so over on the website, Dark Knight Dave gave it one out of five batterings. So that is going to give the issue two out of five batterings. He should have been more careful. Now he's paid the price for his incompetence. Let's move into our next book, which is Batman Streets of Gotham number 19, written by Paul Dini, art by Dustin Wen. Alright, so the issue starts off with Hush along with Pierce, Mr. Zzz, and Anthony Marchetti approaching Dr. Death as it seems uh, Dr. Death has a number of, uh, has gas around his hideout, but as Tommy Elliott was aware of this and made sure to uh, have everyone have a rebreather. Dr. Death, after being choked almost to the point where his gas mask is breaking by Mr. Zzz, he uh, flips the switch to make all the gas disappear. We then have a nice little discussion where Dr. Death says, It's good to know that you don't have any hard feelings against me, Mr. Pierce. I'm not really understanding why you guys are here. We then see a nice little story between Tommy Elliott and Anthony Marchetti talking about how Anthony Marchetti got into knowing who to, who to be around and who not to be around. He says he has had a brush with Penguin and Scarface here and there, but he tries to stay away from the colorful criminals, and this is because of a run-in he had with the Joker when he was a kid. He explains a story when he was a child, his uncle Sal ran a nice little operation and was approached by the Joker. Um, one day he gets a phone call from his uncle telling him to come pick him up at the carnival. This was back in the day before the going to a carnival, an abandoned carnival, was actually something that you would think twice about doing. He gets apprehended by the two Joker henchmen, and he sees the Joker riding, riding the kitty roller coaster over and over and over again. As it turns out, Joker has shows the little boy that his uncle is just in the big top tent, and after pointing a gun to his head, the boy doesn't seem to be phased. So he marches in and sees his uncle laying strapped to the ground, ball in the mouth, laying naked on the ground, and hyenas surrounding him. And hyenas have done nothing but chewed off the bits of his fingers. As it turns out, Joker's not very pleased with this, so he pops a knife and slices him right over the gut, making it so that the hyenas can get right into the good stuff of the stomach of this Anthony Marchetti's Uncle Sal. He gets he blacks out and he wakes up to see his Uncle Sal laying 
sitting dead in the backseat of his car. After that, he's never had, he's, he's tried to never have a run-in with the Joker again. He's grown up and he's tried to keep his hands clean, uh, for the most part, when it comes to these colorful criminals. Hush seems to find this a little bit funny, and Marchetti doesn't think that uh, Hush is having, Hush should be laughing, and Hush says, well, you know, the, the plus side is that once we get done taking out Batman, uh, then we'll take out the Joker, and he says, well, what is, what is that gonna do? And he says, no, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take out Batman, which is the only reason the Joker has to live. We then see Dr. Death doing a number of different experiments, talking with Judson Pierce about a number of situations, and they specifically talk about how, because Judson Pierce has a problem with Bruce Wayne, what does that have to do with Dr. Death having a problem with Batman. Hush pulls out the newspaper and says, well, this is why, because Bruce Wayne is financing Batman, so if we take out Bruce Wayne, Batman will show up and you can take out Batman. Uh, Hush tries to keep it secret that he knows exactly that Bruce Wayne is, in fact, Batman, because he finds it irrelevant to know him. He says, well, how exactly are we going to do this? And Hush says, well, the reason how is because, as it turns out, Bruce Wayne has been using body doubles and nobody knows that he was using body doubles except for his inner people. So the employees of Wayne Industries have no idea. You then see Tommy Elliott going to Gotham University to approach Jeffrey Carter, who's been working on a lot of IT stuff for Bruce Wayne. It says, we see Tommy Elliott as Bruce Wayne saying, let me introduce you to my new bodyguards. There's been a lot of heat on them. We then see a closed theater and Batman and Catwoman are there and they're saying, how exactly, what does this have to do with anything? Bruce has a little bit of a flashback after seeing a picture of his father with John Zatara and as it turns out with the flashback shows a little bit of an interesting situation that obviously Bruce would not know but we see the uh, situation where John Zatara says that he's thinking about leaving Gotham to join possibly a new all-star team of superheroes he says well we'll see what happens after that, Catwoman says, why are you telling me this? It seems like this would be something you should tell Satana. And he says, no, I'm telling you this because I don't want to let anybody into this part of my life. Bruce embraces Selina and kisses her, and we see Bedbug looking on, saying, interesting. That's the end of the issue. Batman Streets of Gotham, number 19. Couple things. I don't know what really the reason behind having the story with the Joker in it was. On the website, we had a uh, review done by Riddle Me This for Batman Streets of Gotham number 19, he put it very nicely. He said, when I picked up the issue of Batman Streets of Gotham number 19, there was a picture of the Joker on the cover. I had no idea what this had to do with the Heart of Hush story that was going on, but picked it up and then soon found out. Yeah, it really had little nothing, little to do with the story of Hush other than to set up Anthony Marchetti doesn't like the Joker because he killed his uncle. What does that have to do with the current story and how is that going to you know, fix two, two more issues? I have no idea. One thing that I guess I'm not really understanding is the rat Ragman co-feature, it is now poof, gone. I thought January was going to be the last month for the co-feature. Not to say that I would want to pay an extra dollar for the Ragman co-feature. I'd rather see it as a one-shot or possibly a mini-series instead of, you know, seven pages at the end of Streets of Gotham. Especially since Streets of Gotham overall really hasn't been super great. And this Heart of Hush story will be wrapping up two more issues. It's hard to see exactly how this is going to wrap up into issues because I don't understand why they throw unnecessary things here in, in the story like this Joker story about the Joker's early days. Dustin Wynn's art, no complaints whatsoever. I, I really liked his 
his uh, interpretation of the Joker when he was just starting out. It was quite interesting. Dustin Wen's true talent is drawing the backdrops of Gotham City. When we see the closed-down theater, when we see the carnival, that's what, to me, looks really good. And if you've listened to a lot of my other reviews, you would think to yourself, well, this doesn't seem right because it's not very... They're detailed, but they're not very, like, smooth details. There's just something about his art that I, I, I like, but also because the story has a certain tone to it, it works for what we what he draws and i like that um so overall i'm going to give this issue three and a half out of five batterings i like this i'm glad that we're getting some more development on the tommy Elliot hush stuff because for a while it was kind of in a holding pattern after bruce died and now that bruce is back well we can't have two bruce waynes so well i like kind of all these pieces coming together and that we're dealing with more of the Batman Catwoman stuff even though to me it seems like it's kind of at odds with what with what's going on between them and Batman Incorporated could have used a little bit of communication there but that might have something to do with everything always being delayed so I'm going to give this four out of five batterings I enjoyed this issue. I enjoyed what was going on with the uh, the Joker story. In terms of the art, you know, Dustin Link, it sort of speaks for itself. I also like the story between John Satara and uh, Thomas Wayne and um, how uh, they're, they're, like, Tom Wayne is now different. He has a mustache. He's hanging out with uh, Martha Kane, and you see where it's going. At the same time, though, I still feel like this is sort of just, just padding. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure. I think there should have been more story pro- progression than this. this is, it was basically just flashbacks and uh, entertaining in-betweens. So that kind of annoys me. I, I really wish this, this had a more quicker pace. This entire story has been kind of treading water for a little bit in itself. Altogether, I'm not sure how this is going to look on the tree. I, I'm thinking this is going to be a lot of nothing with a little bits here in between and then like in the last issue, crammed to finish the story. So that kind of has me a little annoyed, but um, I did enjoy the issue overall, so I'll give this 3.5 out of 5 better ranks. Yeah, this was actually my favourite issue out of the eight we had. Although, the more we go through it, the more I, I wonder why. But I actually, I really liked it. I mean, Dustin Wendt's art was brilliant, as usual. I really liked the splash page of him with the evolution of the Joker in the background. I thought that was really good. That we're finally pushing on this hush storyline. Although not much happened, it was good to have a whole issue of him. And I, I didn't miss the co-feature, because it felt good to have a whole issue. I really liked some typical Paul Dini things in there, like the um, like Batman's theory on, the, on his hideout. Like, oh, this is to do with masks. He likes wearing masks. He's probably hiding here. I thought that was quite funny. But uh, I'm a bit confused as to why it's... Bruce Wayne, Batman. It sounds like he always wanted to, like Paul Dini always wanted to do it with Bruce Wayne, but was stuck writing Dame, um, Dick. Now that Bruce is back, he feels he can write him. I really enjoyed the issue, and uh, I think the reason for the Joker storyline was probably just to flesh out the issue a bit, seeing as uh, he had to write a whole issue this week. Even with that, I thought I really enjoyed it, so I'm going to give it five out of five batterings. Alright, and over on the website, Riddle Me This gave it 4 out of 5 batterings, which is going to give the book 4 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next book, Birds of Prey number 8. Oracle's plan to fake the death of her Oracle identity has gone horribly wrong. The birds are being attacked by some of Calculator's people. And by the way, didn't Calculator already know who Oracle was? Well, Oracle's internal narration addresses this. Turns out that during their last encounter in the Batgirl series, when Oracle was playing around with his mind, she mind-wiped him. And she hasn't told Bruce or anyone else this yet because, well, there's some implications there because the last time that mind-wipings happened in the superhero community around Identity Crisis, it tore everyone apart. So she's kind of wrestling with this guilt. 
count. And the men that and women that calculator sent out after the birds are demanding to know which one's Oracle. And Dove pulls a Spartacus moment and says that it's her. Oracle sends uh, Batman out to help with the situation. He, he agrees to go along with Oracle's plan and fake taking a dive, which is a very, very un-Batman thing to do. Batman shows up. But things have already gotten out of control, which Oracle did not foresee. And Oracle, looking over the monitor, realizes that this whole plan to destroy her Oracle identity has spun out of control, and her friends are now in actual danger, which uh, is the cliffhanger for the issue. All right, Birds of Prey number eight. There was, as you can tell by Josh's review or recap of the issue, there really wasn't a whole lot that happened. I'm having a real hard time trying to understand how this whole story has to do with the death of Oracle, other than does she just have persona and that's what happens as far as Oracle no longer exists, but we get a new persona of... Barbara Gordon. That could be the case that seems to be where we're heading towards, but at the same time, Birds of Prey just, I don't know, you know, last month we had the problem with, you know, what was the reason for having, you know, half-naked guys all over the place? Well, they were more than half-naked, probably like 95% naked. There really wasn't a reason for that. At the same time, this month we don't have any of the unnecessary cheesecake that we've seen in the past but we don't really get any story either we see that calculator has a number of people working for him which we saw in the last issue we see that calculator has a plan of attack we also see that calculator is convinced that oracle has given him a virus inside of his brain and that's why he has these seizures and is in so much pain but other than that we don't really see what's we don't see what's going on there's because there's really nothing going on i didn't have any issues with the art because there wasn't any over the top cheesecake which seems to be such a regular occurrence in this book the art was okay the story didn't do anything for me i'm going to give this one and a half out of five batteries yeah this was basically just filling in space until the next thing happens all that we really got from this was a moment between batman and oracle and you know just her commenting on how their relationship has changed because he's not trying to control the situation and her realizing oh poop no, we're, we're in real trouble now. I don't understand this whole Death of Oracle thing either. Maybe I'll get clearer answers when the arc is over, because what, she's just going to make people think that Oracle's dead, then it's going to be a secret that there's an Oracle out there again, except for a few superheroes are going to know, but then, you know, little by little, writers of the other books are going to have more people interact with Oracle when around the same amount of people know that Oracle exists as they did before this story arc. I'm really not sure, and until I guess until I see what the outcome of Barbara's plan is, I I really can't say too much about it, but it it was a little too much going on here. Well, when I say too much going on, I mean with just the plan and everything else and trying to figure out what it was. And at the same time, there was too little going on. Like, the story moved forward very, very little this issue. I'm going to give it two out of five batterings. I don't know what's going on on in this issue. My, My literal response when I finished this issue was like, what? I mean, I've read comic books where it's just, you know, fighting and kind of padding along. But it seems that this issue was trying to get its point across for, for something that was completely different from the last issue. There were some moments I liked, like uh, Black Canary seeing Batman again, or and I liked Dove taking the heat saying that she was Oracle. But there were some parts that just really, really bugged me. The entire Penguin part, what was that about? Is, is he supposed to be high or something? He's like, 
That's why I didn't even mention it in the recap. I didn't even know what was going on there. Yeah, he he's like it, it had like no relevance on the story. He's talking about like burning women alive and how that's awesome. It's like every time I read this book lately, it's really really hard to to imagine this is written from by Gail Simone. Now, granted, I'm not read the previous Birds of Prey series, but I've read some of her other stuff, and I really like it. I mean, I can see why she is such an acclaimed writer. But there are, are a ton of these things that just feel so amateurish, like and the women getting caught in the battle, like oh no. I swear I'll never look at another naked thingy. This is dumb. This is the same kind of stuff that was that I didn't like back in the uh, Shiva issue a couple of months ago. Really, I gotta give this one and a half out of five batteries. Yeah, this book is so over the top. I mean, I was gonna get to the penguin thing as well. He he looked really bizarre, and that whole sequence was so exaggerated and over the top. I mean, overall, I quite like the art. I, I like the coloring, but um, yeah, every now and then, just one character will look really odd, and it's a bit off-putting. Black Canary, I don't quite know what's going on with her. She has, like, opposing magnets on her shoes, apparently, because she never seems to stand with her legs, like, closed. They always have to be, like, a metre apart, which is a bit odd. (laughs) And the bit with um, Batman, I know that now he's back from, like, the return of Bruce Wayne, he's meant to be more light-hearted, and I like that side to him, but I think you've got to be a bit more subtle with it, because when he just turns Oracle, it's like, I trust your judgment. I mean, it's so over the top. But I think the thing with this, the death of Oracle thing, I think it's, this that character she played, like her alter ego Oracle, I think, is what she's going to give up and then become that new avatar from the um, return issue we saw of Grant Morrison and David Finch. I'm, I'm quite interested to see what happens with Black Canary at the end after she got touched by that person. I don't even know who it was anymore. Two out of five batterings. All right, so that is going to give the issue one and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, which is Night and Squire number four. Sal's having company tonight. Don't wait up. Meaning I trust that once you're done with him, you'll be seeing her? You think you know everything about me, don't you? I doubt that your bottom, I bloody well ought to, sir. Well, you're wrong. Okay, Night and Squire issue 4, titled Fawcett, written by Paul Cornell, with art by Jimmy Broxton. We start off this issue in the English countryside, where Beryl is waiting for the Shrike. They go back to the castle, where Knight is working on the artificial intelligence in his suit, so that it will carry on fighting, even if he's knocked out. It's in this scene that we're first introduced to Hank Hackenbacker, who's Knight's American butler, but as they leave the Knight cave... The suit becomes active without anybody realising. Knight introduces himself to the Shrike as Cyril Sheldrake. At this, the Shrike is taken aback until Squire reveals that they now know the Shrike's real name is Dennis Ennis. Dennis is furious and shouts at Beryl before Cyril takes him to the battlements to have a chat. While this is happening, Knight's suit is wandering around calling for Beryl claiming that it needs what he used to need to fill the gap. However, Squire is upstairs talking to Hank, stating that her powers don't work as well on Dennis as anyone else. We cut back to Cyril and Dennis, and we get to see some of the Knight's origin story. He was the original Squire and followed in his dad's footsteps. He was the original Knight. However, after his dad's death, Cyril turned to drink, drugs and gambling until Beryl found him and put him on the right track. Squire enters the room and gets into an argument with the Shrike. 
but suddenly the knight's armour bursts into the room, claiming that Cyril is an imposter. As the knight and his armour fight their way through the castle, it is explained that Cyril downloaded the wrong memories into the suit, the side of him that he'd rather forget. It turns out that the knight had been a villain for a brief period of time, until he turned his life around. But with the help of the Shrike, knight manages to defeat his armour. We end this issue with Dennis and Beryl sharing their first kiss over a cup of... Alright, Night and Squire number four. I thought this issue was a little bit better than the past two issues. I thought the King Richard issue for number three wasn't all that bad, but issue two I really didn't enjoy at all. This gets back to kind of the heart and soul of Night and Squire. I did really enjoy the introduction of the American Butler. The end of the issue during Paul Cornell's corner of the book where he explains a lot of the stuff that he says and a lot of the British-isms that occur in the book. He had a nice explanation of, well, you know, Alfred's British, so why not have an American butler in Britain? I found that kind of interesting. Despite the fact that Jimmy Broxton did the art, I didn't find his name to be on every page, which I've mentioned in the past I have not in nearly I've not really been super happy with. I see the thought in it, but I didn't really enjoy it, and I didn't see it this issue, which pleased me. I did think it was kind of interesting that Knight's armor has AI that he was trying to make it so that it could continue to fight if he got knocked out. Batman doesn't even have armor that would fight for him if he got knocked out. A little bit interesting. Don't know what other t- uh, else to say besides that. I ha- am more interested in Knight's backstory and that five minutes he was a villain, which they really didn't dwell a whole lot upon. But we may see it come up in the next two issues of Night and Square before the end of the miniseries. So, I thought this was a good issue. Four out of five bad ranks. This wasn't as ridiculous as the last few issues with all that crazy stuff going on. The whole thing about Knight being a villain, I thought that that was solved way too quickly. Would have liked to have seen them actually do a little more than that. Might have made things more interesting. But uh, I like the art. Getting a little bit more into Squire's character. This series wasn't so flashy and ridiculous sometimes. You know, people might be able to notice that these characters could be interesting when when written well. So they're starting to show some potential here. So I'm going to give it two and a half out of five batterings. This is another enjoyable issue for me. I'm This may be uh, tied with number two is my favorite, if it's not my favorite. There's just so many interesting things told about these characters, and this this really could have been shiftless and boring to me, I think, but uh, Paul Cornell's really taken this uh, concept of these two uh, crime players and really wrong with it. I love that we're learning more of the backstory of how uh, Beryl met Cyril, and that he was, um, you know, down and out in in a drinking and drug habit when she found him, and she kind of convinced him to come back to the to the light side. I thought that was a cool, a really cool concept. And uh, the AI armor was a little weird, but I thought I thought it uh, worked well for the story. I've dug this miniseries. This is one of the more enjoyable miniseries I've read in a long while. So I'm giving this four and a half out of five better rings. Yeah, I really like the issue as well. Probably my favorite in the series so far. I really like seeing some of the Knight's origin, but I hope it's explained a bit further because it was, it was really interesting about the um, him being a villain. But uh, I think that needs to be taken a bit further. I quite like the bit with the when they explained how they knew Dennis's real name, where it said something about yeah, with you not wearing a mask, it's pretty easy to find out who you were, which is a pretty major flaw if you think about it in most comic books. So I quite like that and uh, picking up on that. And uh, I really love all of the parodies of Batman. You know, like the um, the giant fifty pence coin in the, I suppose it's a night cave instead of <laughs> that was really good and uh, Hank the Butler I thought was brilliant as well. It's not my favourite style of art but it's quite it's quite cartoony but I think it fits well with the tone of the book and uh, I actually ended up missing Broxton's secret, like hiding his name and stuff 
which I was quite surprised by. Yeah, overall, I think with the hope that they'll explain expand on the origin story a bit more, I'm going to give it five out of five battering. All right, so that is going to give Night in Square number four four out of five batterings. Let's move into our very last book, which is Red Robin number nineteen. Go back outside and calm the flower children. They'll mob me. Groovy. Red Robin number nineteen. When we last left off. Tim Drake and uh, Tam Fox were mysteriously knocked unconscious when trying to contact each other through EarCam. And we open up this issue with, and it's a very, this is a very difficult one at my best, but Tim, the entire issue, or for the majority, is dressed in sort of a Nightwing Red Robin hybrid costume. He has a, a large domino mask on his face. But no, no cowl. The best I can describe it, honestly, think uh, Robin's costume from Batman and Robin the movie, with like complete with the cape and the colors and everything. Yes, that Red Robin is waking up, uh, being strung up by what appears to be binary code by a version of the calculator. And while the calculator is about to menace him, Red Robin is saved by, wouldn't you know it, Batman and Robin. But this Batman and Robin isn't Dick or Damien. It is actually. Uh, the classic Batman and Robin from uh, the Silver Age, complete with a yellow oval and a pellet belt. Also, it should be noted that the Riddler is in the, always in the background saying random riddles, which we are eventually thinking. So Batman and Robin save Red Robin and tell him good luck on his mission. But Tim is trying to get his bearings, and he find, he, he hears a baby crying in a nearby car. And the car's license plate is Fox Tech. So this is a clue to what baby this is. But if you haven't guessed already, this baby is Tam Fox turned to a little toddler. He just says, uh, for now, we don't know what's going on, so let's just get, stick with the code names and don't call me by my real name. So they wonder, they try to find promise because that's that was the whole thing they were trying to do last issue, where they attacked by, it appears to be Harley Quinn, yet she doesn't have her face paint and cowl on. She just has a domino mask as well. Similarly, he is uh, accosted upon by the Joker, but the Joker is <laughs> dressed in a very ill-fitting Robin costume with complete with bloody crowbar. Tim can take him on. The Joker is actually killed by who appears to be the class anarchy and this is indeed Lonnie Macon through the internet or what actually is the internet which is what Darkseid tried to do during the final crisis they explained that during the final crisis Dr. Savannah had tried to upload Darkseid's internet onto the World Wide Web, and since the internet was developed to provide knowledge and freedom of knowledge for people, he saw humanity as a, as using the internet as a way to supervise themselves with uh, overt, uh, innocuous knowledge. So this is sort of, the internet is sort of a uh, corrupted version of the internet, uh, where subconscious reigns supreme and everything is not what it seems. Anarchy, Red Robin, and Baby Tam run into a cyborg, but they are saved by Promise, who is looking much older with uh, scars and a new costume and... and she looks older because she's been battling Darkseid and his minions for years, and he even managed to kill this version of the Justice League. She is then immediately gunned down by Deathstroke, who is joined by Calculator, Cheshire, and Captain Boomerang. And we cut to the real world where Promise wake up, wakes up back in her uh, younger uh, present-day form and tells Red Star, who has uh, Red Robin's body in, in a little ambulance area in the ship, that everything's checking out right in terms of his um, biometrics, but he turns out to be right all along about the guy they're chasing, Mikalek, in the last issue. Red Robin fights uh, Captain Boomerang and Deathstroke, and he's noticing that throughout the entire time, he is feeling a lot more angry, and he really 
does not know why, but he soon learns that he is in control of the world just as the villains are in control of the world as well. Um, once Tamra realizes this, she transforms into a, a popped collar Afro superhero herself, Foxy Lady. Tim, meanwhile, grabs a machine gun and starts to shoot at Captain Boomerang, but he notes that even in the subconscious, he wouldn't want to kill anybody. Um, with the key being that they can do anything in this world, they're able to bring back a version of the Justice League, which includes adult or adult versions of the Teen Titans. The present-day Teen Titans is now the Justice League, complete with Wally West as the Flash, uh, Cassandra Stanton as Wonder Woman, and Superboy as Superman. The day being saved on the internet with the Justice League returning, Anarchy says that he will... Um, Tim is needed outside he can't to help around, but Anarchy says that his subconscious is still in the, in the internet slash internet, so... Tim and Tam should return to the real world. Tim wakes up in his classic Red Robin costume and um, shakes hands with Red Star, saying that, what about the ship and the missiles that I saw, which was in the last issue? And Red Star explains to those, the Justice League, Justice Society, and Teen Titans, or at least his version back in Russia. Tim, back at the hotel, is rather annoyed by the whole encounter and just wants to leave and forget that it ever happened. And as the issue closes, we zoom out to see that they are being monitored by a shady guy in a business room, and he is um, basically hiring an assassin to track and hunt them down. And that assassin is revealed to be Cat. Man. All right, Red Robin number 19. This issue was kind of interesting. I, I enjoyed the art because I think even though it was much brighter than what we normally see in a Batman book, it made sense to a certain degree. This is supposed to be a villain-type world, and for some reason, it's very bright. I didn't really understand that. Uh, the other thing, you know, I, I know Fabian tried to make a real good argument of exactly what the Uternet was, and how it works, and why it's corrupted because of Final Crisis. He did a real good job of incorporating a lot of past events into what was occurring inside this Uternet, but the problem was that I just didn't really find it all that interesting. The most interesting thing I got out of this, this issue was the subconscious thoughts of the Justice League and the fact that Cassandra Cain was Batman and we pretty much had the rest of the oh, Teen yes. Titans as grown-up versions of their immediate uh, counterparts, uh, older counterparts, as the actual Justice League. And on top of that, the fact that we're going to see Catman in an upcoming issue. I'm going to go out there I really enjoy Catman. You know, we don't we don't talk about Secret Six on this podcast, but Catman is one of those uh, villains that I really enjoy and I wish was used more within the confines of the Batman universe since that's where he originated. But I'm looking forward to Catman, but those are the only two things I really enjoyed out of this issue. I liked the random mentions here and there, like the Joker holding the crowbar from when he killed Jason Todd. That was kind of cool to see. But to see Joker wearing the original Dick Grayson Robin costume was kind of stupid. One thing is, I have to say, I do like Red Robin's costume in the Uternet compared to what he wears in the real world. I think the uh, Red Robin costume in the Uternet is uh, more, a lot more interesting and a lot more Tim Drake, more so than what we see in the normal world. So, with that being said, because it really just wasn't really all that great, it just seemed like they were spent a lot of time trying to explain everything more so than just telling an interesting story. I'm going to give this two out of five batterings. All right. Last issue, we got a tale of Tim and Tam going to Russia, clashing horns with Red Star, right? Why am I forgetting his name? Yeah, the Red original Star. Starfire, Red Star, and dealing with this, you know, 
girl who may or may not be a villain or a hero. And then all of a sudden, last issue, everyone gets knocked out, and we get this completely different plot this issue. This was really weird. It just made me completely forget about the plot thread from last issue, which they tried to resolve in the middle of this whole, like, Ubernet thing. I mean, there were some funny moments, like Tam Fox has a baby, and the old-school Batman and Robin showing up. But it, it, it felt very, very messy to me. I wish that it would have been a little bit more like last issue, where they tried to and trying to resolve that plot without all this internet stuff. Uh, I'm going to give this two out of five batterings. This was one of the worst issues of Red Robin that I've read in a while. Yeah, I kind of wish this made more sense. That's the main thing with uh, this issue as well. Because I've, I've said in the past that this title's been on a serious roll with the writing and art are concerned. And while the art is still on the roll, I think. This is another one of those comics I don't understand even after reading it. The most interesting thing about to me about this issue was Tim's subconscious in the form of the Riddler. This is another example where I may just be looking too much into it. But I think since Tim is a detective, the fact that Riddler is his subconscious asking asking rhetorical questions is very intriguing. He fights Joker with um, in a Robin costume with a bloody crowbar. Obviously, the, Rob, the R is uh, crossed off by, with a green J. For a long time when I was reading that, I, I took it to mean for some reason he's fighting Jason Todd, but then the captain said, oh, it's the Joker. Is it? I mean, I don't know. It, there, was, there, were, there were things like that that just kind of made me kind of scratch my head and wonder what exactly is uh, the subconscious trying to say. But the issue, yeah, I didn't really understand much of it. It was kind of cool seeing the different designs in the Teenage or the uh, Teen Titan Justice League versions. And I was entertained with it. At the same time, it was a lot less logical than the last stories have been. So based on that alone, I'm, I'm going to give this a uh, 3 out of 5 better ranks. I really enjoyed the art in this issue, and I, I really liked the colors of it. I thought it looked really good. But, like... Dustin said it kind of didn't fit if it's supposed to be a villain sort of internet type thing then I can get why it would be those colors but not in that villain sense it was just I thought that was a bit odd and uh, either I just didn't get them or the riddles were really stupid to me like I think one of them was when is the cure worse than the disease when it kills the patient and that's kind of that's not really a cure is it if it kills you you might as well just die from the disease that's the point <laughs> And I just didn't get that. It happened at sea. <laughs> sea for Catwoman. <laughs> it's a mysterious riddle. Riddle. Riddle er. And uh yeah, I thought the Joker looked horrible, but kind of in a good way. I thought that was really interesting. And I think judging it on a single issue rather because it didn't really flow well, I actually actually check to see if I'd missed an issue in between. So I didn't think it flowed well, but as a single issue I, I really enjoyed it. I'm gonna give it four out of five batterings. All right, and over on the website, Suave Star gave it four out of five batterings, so that is going to give Red Robin number 19 three out of five batterings. So that's all of our comic reviews. Let's throw it over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. Welcome back to BBFB, otherwise known as Bat Books for Beginners. My name is Nick, and today I'm looking at the story, Batman the Penguin Affair. This was covered in Batman number 448, Detective Comics number 615, and Batman number 449. It's written by Marv Wolfman, who has recently worked on the DC Universe online game. And Alan Grant is also credited as a uh, plot creator. 
and uh, he's known as the creator of the character Anarchy, as well as many other projects that he's worked on. Two big uh, writers there. The art's provided by someone called Jim Aparo, who has worked on many books that we've reviewed on BBFB, a legendary artist, and the story came out in June 1990. It's been a long time since we've seen the Penguin on Bat Book for Beginners, so how will Batman fare against Oswald Cobblepot? So, Mr. Penguin, a penguin is a bird that cannot fly. I am a man. I have a name. Oswald Cobblepot. A strangely deformed man is walking up the route to Gotham when some thugs decide to beat him up due to his physical appearance. The penguin arrives and helps the poor man and we learn that his name is Harold. The penguin explains how he adores chess to Harold and how the Batman and penguin have been playing a long battle of chess together for years. Penguin starts to feel a connection with Harold due to them both being rather ugly an outcast of society, and we slowly learn that Harold is brilliant with machines and inventing. Harold designs a machine to control birds. With it, the penguin turns off alarms, robs banks, and does all sorts of dastardly things. Penguin kidnaps an actress off of a TV show that he admires. The birds attack Batman, and they follow him back to the Batcave. Bruce manages to stop the swarm via a sound wave that destroys them. The Penguin arranges an auction for the technology that Harold has designed, with all the evildoers of the world attending. Batman tracks one of these criminals and arrives at the auction in disguise. The Penguin suddenly learns Batman has attended and forces the birds to attack him. Harold decides to attack the Penguin, distracting him, realising that his machines are being used for evil. So Harold decides to attack the Penguin, distracting him, while Batman unleashes his microwave emitter, killing all the birds. Upon apprehending the Penguin, we learn that Harold ran away soon after, and the kidnapped actress, who's now been saved, suggests that they leave Harold alone. I don't think you can hit the broadside of a barn, let alone the broadside of this bird. You're blind as a bat, sightless and helpless. Now, in review, I thought there were some interesting points to the book, such as the chess reference that the Penguin makes and how Batman and the Penguin often are matching their wits and uh, how it's usually an interesting battle between the two of them. Um, Batman mentions that uh, Penguin's appearance... Batman mentions to Tim that the Penguin's appearance can make you underestimate him, but he is a genius. Um, and I thought this showed that Penguin's not just a gimmick, uh, and these writers are trying to make more of him, and I think it works fairly well. Uh, the Penguin here isn't a mob boss, as we see he becomes later on in the future, which I think works quite well for the character. So I think he does, unfortunately, lack a certain edge here. I think they're trying to make more of him, but because of that gimmick, it's hard to get away from it, and you still feel a bit of the 60s Penguin about him, which I think can be a problem when you're trying to pose a threat. Following on from the last story, it's interesting to see that Tim is not wearing the Robin costume. Bruce clearly doesn't think he's ready for it yet, but Tim does help out with a lot of the research and does come along in the Batmobile at times. 
Um, some things are a bit strange, like if the Penguin really is so intelligent, why would he kidnap an actress from a TV show that he likes? We later learn out that he realises that this woman portrays a character, but I thought that made him look a bit dim, to be honest. I don't think it helped the Penguin, that aspect. There was one very strange moment in the story where a strange figure emerges from the Earth. Uh, there was very little explanation as to what was going on. I have no idea what it was about. And uh, I have maybe it was something to do with the later story. I don't know, but it did not fit in this story. Uh, there's a lot of death in this book that's not really shown but implied. Um, you really see these ruthless birds. They, they, they force a plane to crash at one point, which must have killed hundreds of people. Um, and Penguin did kill a lot of people with this uh, machine, but that's not really uh, spent much. They don't spend much time dealing with that. Uh, the birds arrive at the Batcave, but for some reason the Penguin didn't find out who Batman is. Now that was a bit odd to me. Surely someone who's as intelligent as we've been told the Penguin is, why wouldn't he bother finding out the identity? He, they were in the Batcave, they even entered Wayne Manor, and yet the Penguin still didn't manage to find out. There was a strange bit of narration at one point where Batman sits and concentrates... And it starts mentioning the solar system, the Earth being destroyed and reborn, and men do what they must. Did not fit at all. But Harold uh, did the typical uh, anti-heroic figure. He redeemed himself at the end. He regretted what he'd done with his inventions being used for evil by the Penguin and tried to uh, rectify the situation, which is interesting. But we didn't get to see a lot of Harold, really, and it was a bit of a basic character. So I thought this book had a good start, it lost it a bit in the middle, and just about managed to get back on form for the end. So all in all, I would give it three out of five Batarangs. You and your trained exploding shark. Fuck! Quack! How should I know they'd have a can of shark repellent back spray handy? Why are you sniveling, sardine? Are you pompous, puffed up penguin? Next time, I'll be looking at a book called Rite of Passage, which collects Detective Comics 618 up to 621. And in this story, Tim's parents go on holiday to the Caribbean, but are captured by a local tribe. And it's up to Tim and Bruce to rescue them. Find out if they do next time on BBFB. I've been Nick, and I'll now send you back to Dustin and the guys. See ya. Alright, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Let's go over what we'll be covering next time on the podcast. We will be taking a an additional week off, so it'll be three weeks worth of comics. What we'll be covering next time on the podcast will be Detective Comics number 873, Azrael number 17, Batman Beyond number 2, Batman Confidential number 53, Batman Odyssey Returns with issue number 6, Gotham City Sirens number 19, Batgirl number 18, Batman and Robin number 20, Birds of Prey number 9, Night and Square number 5, and Red Robin number 
20. So it sounds like a lot of issues, but for a three-week time span, that's actually not that bad. So that's what we'll have next time. So that's pretty much everything for this episode. I want to remind everybody we are currently hosting the Batman Universe Awards, which you can vote on currently right now. There's a number of categories for the comics that you can vote on, including Best Writer and Worst Writer, as well as ongoing series, miniseries, one-shots, characters, a lot of different things related to the comics. So you can go over to the website on any of the normal pages except for the homepage. Just look at the top for a click here to vote for the 2010 TBU Awards. Uh, the awards show will be up in February and we will be accepting votes for a couple more weeks. So just get over there and place your vote for that. As always, you can go onto the forums and become a member. Our forums have had a sudden surge of activity as of probably a week after Christmas. So if you are someone out there who wants to discuss everything from the current comic books and the stories that are in them to the recent announcement of the cast of the Dark Knight Rises, make sure you head over to the forums and become a member and chat with plenty of bad fans who are on there pretty consistently as of late. So with that, you can also email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with any comments, questions, or concerns, and you can leave us a review on iTunes. Those are always appreciated. And of course, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. So that's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. You got Josh? This is Don. This is Jay. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Good night. Bye. To our next book. I don't even know what our next book is. Uh, I think Let's it's. Into our next book, I think it's Birds, Birds of, of Prey. Prey. Let's move into our next book, Birds of Prey, number. What is it? Ten. I thought it was eight. No, eight. Wow. Yeah. Birds of Prey. All right. <sighs> Nothing happened this issue. I'm trying to remember how it freaking ended. Hey, nice. You didn't um, mention your girlfriend. Yeah, I try. I try. I also I left, I left that out because it's like, okay. Zach's not here. Yeah, I guess who's Batman? Cassandra Kane. <laughs> oh, that's out of the way. Awesome, by the way. Um, this was really weird and really confusing, and it would have been all right, except it just like. <laughs>